Father, please once again be with us as we look into Scripture, as we look at our own lives and our own church. May you help us to see what we need to do and what you need to do in us as well. And so that your church and your work may move forward and not backwards. Please guide us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, before we get into looking at what we have, what I'm going to draw up, um, I want us to turn to the Bible text in Luke chapter 10. Familiar passage. We've already been through this in the last session. I mentioned it. Um, but look, as a youth ministry, as a young person, you have to constantly, you constantly are bombarded by this situation that we're going to be looking at. Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. Luke 10 verse 38. And there are choices that you are going to have to make all the time. Okay? Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. So she said, Jesus, tell my sister to help me. Get off her butt and do something. And Jesus asked and said to her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful. And it says, Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Was Martha doing anything wrong? No. Was Mary doing anything wrong? Then what's the point that Jesus was trying to make? Do we need Martha's in our midst? Do we need Mary's in our midst? Then what is the point of this story? Now, spiritually speaking, look, it's better to make sure you sit at the feet of Jesus before serving right? But the point that I want to make here is the good over, the better, sorry, over the good. It's good to serve for Jesus, but choose the better. You see that? Especially as Seventh-day Adventists, as Christians, we have to choose the better over the good. Two paths, none are morally wrong, but which one's better? You see? And you got to choose this in light of the people that are around you. This instance that I brought up about the church choir at the very beginning, nothing wrong with the church choir, but there's something better that we could have done. You see? This principle must pervade your whole life. Is this food good? Yes. Can I eat something better? Probably. Is sleeping at 10 good? Yes. Can you sleep better? Probably. <laughs> New Year's resolutions are all about the better. Whether we achieve them or not is another thing, right? But we constantly, in order to be the top person, you have to choose the best of the best. You see, the cream of the crop. And in order for evangelism to be successful, you must choose the better over the good. Is a week of prayer good? Tell me. Yes, but maybe it's not at the right time. 
a better thing to do maybe on that week is to have a social activity. Now, from a distance, it looks like, wait a minute, you're choosing social over spiritual? Certainly the spiritual is better. But maybe not always in the grand scheme of things. What's better? You must always ask yourself that question. And also, when we do activities like youth camps, do you guys have youth camps? ECYC, I hope they do this. Uh, Do we have any ECYC organizers here? No? Okay, one. I hope ECYC does this. I hope you do this for when you preach. I hope you do this constantly with everything. What could I have done better? I'm a big critique of my own sermons. Um, And I don't think I really preach the best sermons because I always got something to improve. And that's what we must always look at. At our youth camps that we held every year back in Australia, we always sat down at the end of it and go, okay, what was good? What was bad? What could we have done better? Always improving, always choosing the better, always doing that which is better. We must constantly improve. At the end of the year, you sit down and go, okay, we had no baptisms. Why? Let's review our year. Let's go through and look at it. You see? And so today, what I want to do is this. In this session. Okay? I'm going to draw up. um, Actually, let me draw this first. I'm going to draw up the funnel that we had. For those that weren't familiar about the funnel, um, we had three sections to it. Social. Oops. Okay? Second was... Um, care groups or small groups and then one-on-one and the result baptism this should be our ultimate goal not that we're aiming for numbers or I'm being your friend because I want to get you get baptized it sounds like a really shallow reason to be your friend right but actually that's the noblest of all reasons you could not have a better friend that wants to bring you to Jesus you know but there are some that come to me and go hey that's That's not right. You shouldn't think like that. I'm not thinking like that in terms of numbers and that's it. Or I want to get you baptized so you can give tithe. You know, so our church is going to have more money. No, bring them to Jesus. This should be our ultimate goal, baptism. Matthew 28, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them. In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, so baptism should be our ultimate goal. But what I want to do today is, how many churches do we have represented here? So you two are from the same church, and that's it. So there's one, two, three. It's different as well. Four, five, six, seven, seven, eight, nine. Oh, you guys go to different churches. <laughs> okay. So here's the thing. There's nine different churches represented here. Well, maybe eight, because you said you jump around. Okay, eight. (laughs) So you don't have a position anywhere, but you help out everywhere. Okay. So we have eight churches represented here. And I want to ask you, or maybe we could do it on an individual basis. It'll help you to analyze. And what I mean by how do you figure out what you're missing? Okay? But uh, if you can, draw this down. And let's, would somebody volunteer, would like to volunteer their church? Okay, so that means both of you, all right? (laughs) You volunteered her. 
But okay, I'm going to go through this and tell me. First thing, I'm going to work backwards because it's easier, it's less information. Do either of you do one on one Bible studies? Okay. Do you guys have small groups? On and off. Okay. Where it's like a small group thing where they can talk and we can talk too, but we choose the topic. How many people come? Um, on average, in about eight. Eight. Okay. So once a month. So let's just say once a month. Yeah? Is that okay? Now, social. What do you guys do as social? Okay. No problem. Okay, just the youth. Let's just take the youth. You have what? Tell me the things you do. Okay, so Wonderland. Ice skating. You guys don't normally have potluck at church? Uh, once a month. Once a month, okay. Laser tag, okay. Anything else? Every other year? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> youth, okay, so youth camp. How come every other year? It takes two years to plan it? Yeah, I think it's budget, mainly budget. Ah, budget, okay. Anything else? Yep. Like what? What do you guys do? Tell me. How often do you socialize with people? How often? <laughs> Tell me, though. Like, how often would you meet up to play games and eat? Once every three months? You all ate together only once every three months? Two to three months. So, so, so let's, say, let's go by year, okay? This is once a year, once a year, once a year. <laughs> Once a year, once every two years, <laughs> and five times a year. <laughs> okay. All right. This is, look, you see the model, but how do you implement it? Where do you begin as a youth group? So, look, you're probably thinking this in your own church right now, right? Write it down, be honest with yourself, figure out how many times you meet up with your friends, with people, where you meet together, where you're in a group setting. Um, social events. This is great. Wonderland, ice skating, lunch, laser tag, youth camp. Nothing wrong with these things. Um, shooting people. I mean, some people might have a problem with it, but it's just a laser. You know, right? You know, so everybody to their own opinion. But, you know, whatever. And then... Let's say board games or hanging out. Is that, can we say hanging out? Right? Oops. All 
All right, so you got hanging out. So let's add all these events together. One, two, three, four, half, <laughs> four and a half, nine and a half. As a group, you do nine and a half events a year, which means less than one thing a month. Do you have friends that you meet nine times a year? And you call them friends? Or maybe you see them at ECYC once a year and you're friends. But friends that impact your life, how often do you see them? Very often. How often? Sorry? You live with them. <laughs> it's true. In our youth ministry back in Australia, back in 1997, we met up three to four times a week. And if you don't have this culture, now, okay, let me take a step back now. Who, who of you are studying? Who's studying? Raise your hands up high. Study at the no, no, no. Studying as in university. Sorry. Sorry. One, two, three, four, five. No? Oh, no. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. So five out of eleven are studying. The rest of you are working or in the process of looking for a job. Right? So working. If you don't establish this, while you're a university student, the likelihood of you becoming, doing it while you're working is very slim. Even when I was working, many nights a week, I'll be meeting up with people, or many lunches a week, I'll be meeting up with people and eating with them, just hanging out with them. It's like, hey, what are you doing? I'm bored. I don't want to go home and look at the four walls. You know? I don't know. Work to me wasn't that stressful. It didn't take that much out of me. I was just sitting on a chair all day in front of a computer. So regularly, even while we were working, we would meet up. But this only happened because we got into it as we're university students. The 20s to 30s, but I would say more so the 20s age, is the most important group that you're looking for. If you're, you said that your group has a lot of high school students, right? They're probably not the ones to gear your program to because high school students, I don't know what the high school students are like here, but high school students in Taiwan, they're very independent. They take the trains. They're there. It's just so networked. The parents just don't even care. They're so busy, and especially the kids in the high school where all my church members teach. The, the tuition is about 12,000 U.S. a year. So these kids are rich, you know. And so their parents have to earn a lot just to get them through school because there's usually more than one of them. Okay, so the kids are very independent. But I'm not sure. Here, are they so much more independent? Not really, right? You know, because you have to drive more and you're relying on other people to drive you unless you have a car and, you know, you have a license. Can you get a license when you're in high school? Like U.S.? Sorry? Learner's permit. Okay, so you still need someone there with you that has a full license, right? So... High school students here are not so independent. So once again, people-based program, people-based program. But you know, the most effective group to get is the university. This is why we start a campus ministry in San Diego. But I'm telling you, campus ministry does not work everywhere. I do not have a campus ministry in Taiwan, but my church is still growing. You see? But you have to figure out where to begin. You have this once a month. You have no Bible studies. My recommendation to every single one of you is this. 
<laughs> pray for someone to give Bible study to. You know that quote, I, was everybody there this morning, the quote I put on the, the slides? There are those that have professed to be acquainted with Christ all their life, but they have never brought one soul to the Savior. I read through the great controversy, the, the Conflict Ages series every year. And this last year, I was reading the Acts of the Apostles, and I came across that quote, and I showed it to my wife. I said, dear, look at this. You know, it just sh- shot at my heart right there. And unbeknownst to me, she began to pray because she had never brought anybody to the Savior. She began to pray, God, give me someone to give Bible study to. A few weeks later, someone came up to her and said, can you give me Bible study? And she studied with them and studied with them, and that person is baptized today. You know? But the first thing that I want to recommend to all of you to do is this. Now, if you don't have anybody to give Bible study to, then you have to start here. Because there's nobody. So you've got to find somebody. So you've got to socialize with them. Get them interested. They want to study the Bible with you. And this is what I did this past year in my church. Just these two. Because I didn't have enough people to want to do this. You see? If it were just, it would, would have been just me and my wife and everybody else that was non Adventist. It's not enough. I'll go through care groups in a minute. Um, in terms of why I didn't start it this past year. But you need critical mass, you need a majority Adventists to start this. Or else you're creating a meeting place for non-Adventists to meet up and they become really good friends because they can do all this stuff that you don't normally do on Friday and they're gone. <laughs> so you don't want to have more Adventists than Adventists in your cell groups on Friday nights. You see? So it's a controlled environment, of course, as leaders, as you plan. But has anybody, raise your hand if you've given one-on-one Bible study to a person who's got baptized. Just one. Two. But did you give Bible study to him? That's all right. No problem. That's all right. But you see, you got to focus on this. This is most important. Or else you will never have people that believe the same as you. Let me give you a account of my, my experience back in Gateway. You know the seven people? It was my brother, my sister, and I, and four others. And these four never got involved. They never got involved until years later. The, the typical Adventists that grow up in the Adventist church, um, they are the hardest to deal with sometimes. The reason why the youth ministry came, took off was because my brother came out of drugs and he focused all his attention back onto youth ministry. My brother was the sort of person who was all or nothing. So when he got into drugs, he went all the way. <laughs> when he came out and got into youth ministry, he went all the way. And he focused a lot of his energy in that. He skipped classes from university, but he still managed to get a high distinction. I don't know how. But God bless his studies. You know? But what, what happened was there were some people that were coming over from Singapore and Indonesia and Thailand. They came to Australia to study in Melbourne. And they showed up at our church, a few of them. I'm like, oh, <laughs> we never get new, never get new people. <laughs> you know? So it was a shock. But the more we hung out with them, the more 
our social atmosphere grew, the more the church grew as well, you see. And at the beginning, I told you, for those that were not here, I said it in the previous session, we just had this. But I'm telling you, the church grew. This is why Sunday churches grow. We always comfort ourselves because we say we have the truth, but they have the people. (laughs) Because we have this. Actually, we don't have that. We have this. (laughs) Because many people aren't doing this. But they have this. And we need both. You need both. You need to socialize. When I trained Bible workers in Culpeper, I said 10 Bible studies is max because you need to hang out with them. You need to go shopping with them. You need to go exercise with them. You need to go be their friend. That is Bible work as well. Why? You're not going to bring people to the Lord just by once a week Bible study. There are experiences of people that do, but it's far and few between. Social power always wins out. If you are giving them Bible study and they still have a whole 99% of their friends are still in the clubbing scene or or the party scene, I'm sorry, they are not going to commit their life to Jesus because they don't see any reason why to come to church. What keeps people in churches? Friends. Let's go around quickly. Tell me the reason why you, like how you ended up in church. And if it's family, say family. I, I was there, family. How, how'd you come to church? Oh, um, my parents. Parents? Yeah. Same? Um, I knew some people that were going to church. Probably. You knew some people that were going to church, so you went? Yeah, friends. Mom? Mm-hmm. Family? Not one was a personal Bible study. Oh, yeah, study. Oh, yeah, Bible study. Okay. <laughs> of course, of course. But the reason why you're still in church is the friends. Initial contact, right? None of you said evangelistic series. None of you said door knocking. None of you said uh, a call porter stopped by and gave me a book and I read it and I was converted. The power of social. Do you know that 75% of the people in our churches are there as a result of social? Human interaction. Not, I love the truth and that's it. That keeps you in the church. But what brings the people? Social. Social. This is one of the major things that churches are missing today. And many of us think we socialize, but when you break it down, I want you to be honest with yourself. Go through this. Write down in a year what you do as an individual in the church and as what the church does as a whole. <laughs> Guaranteed, it's probably going to look something like this. I've done it with many churches. And we think, because you know, it's, I'm, I'm not saying that it's wrong, but our standard of social is different to the w- world's standard in terms of how much we interact. You know what I mean? We're okay as Ammon is seeing each other once a week, we're all right. But people in the world don't do that. They don't. University students who stay at the dorm, they don't do that. In Australia, we have a huge amount of OC students. Huge amount. Our Christmases are never spent with just a family. I never forget, our Christmases, we invite all the overseas students because they are looking for a home away from home. They're looking for family. They're looking for belonging, you see? 
And I'm sure there are plenty of people that come from overseas to study here in Toronto. Am I right? How about um, Quebec? I'm sure people go there, right? So you have people there that are looking for a home, but they need some socializing. <laughs> Chinese church, I was there past week. Uh, I mentioned this, the, the, the girl, she hangs out with her friends every, every other day till all hours of the night, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. She catches a train into the city and just hangs out there. I know this is not what you would normally do, you know, but John the Baptist did it, even though he lived in the desert. Yes? Actually, when I was in Europe, I just came back from Europe like two days ago. New York? Yeah, because I have friends in Europe, so I was part of, I'm a part of ministry in New York. Okay. And all we did was hang out the entire day. We did a spirit, we bounced the spiritual with the social. And mm-hmm. every single day, it's like we couldn't turn away from each other. That we spent every single day, the whole, the whole day. Yep. With yep. It's, it's important. But like even, look, you do, not, you do not have to weave, you do not have to say Bible te- text while you're shooting the person, okay? It's not a spiritual thing. But maybe it eases your conscience because you're shooting somebody and thou shalt not kill. No, no, it doesn't have to be anything spiritual whatsoever. You don't have to pray before you go and shoot each other. Come everybody, let's have a word of prayer before we go in there. You do not need to pray before you play basketball. You can pray at the end, Lord, thank you that nobody got hurt. You know? But you do not have to spiritualize everything. Wonderland? Come on. Lord, keep us from temptation. And then we walk in there. Come on. So just hanging out. Be friends. Go eat with them. Go play with them play beach volleyball, go swim, do whatever, whatever you can with them, just to rub lives with them, as much as you can. And then they might actually want to come to your house. Or in the process of while you're eating, they're like, why don't you eat this? Or why don't you eat that? Oh, you know, for me, I don't go, the Bible says so, or because, you know, in the beginning, you know, God only gave us vegetables. I don't. I just said, it helps my pimples. <laughs> I still get pimples. I'm 32. I'm still getting pimples. Can you believe it? People are like, oh, you know? And it just, it just lightens the whole conversation. But when people come to church or people that I meet, that's like, hey, why do you still come to church? Well, what's the reason why you come? Tell me. Why do you go to church? And they just open up. And, oh, what do you like to do? Oh, you like to play golf? I love to play golf. Let's go sometime. You got the social straight there. It does not have to be the whole church going in order for you to do it, you see? So create as many events as possible, and it doesn't even have to be leadership-based, spontaneous. Touch their lives as much as possible. Now, if you're going to play laser tag and it's all Adventists, please don't do it. (laughs) Have a mission, right? Not a trip. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. You know, if you have an ice skating, oh, it's all Adventists. What, what's the point? You don't know each other well enough? If, if you don't know each other well enough, then, the, then your group will never grow. 
because the person who's coming off the street, he will see this. You don't have to be spiritual to know that people don't get their lungs together. They can see it. See? So if you need to bond your group, okay. It's for a purpose of group bonding and coming together to know each other and form a strong relationship with each other. We had leadership camps, leadership retreats. If you need those, do it. But, you know, do not wait for your group to become united totally. It will never happen. My church is not totally sold on my vision, but it's okay. So my plan, I do this and I do this. And the more I do this, the more people get baptized, more people believe in this, and eventually they'll do this. Because you're grow, growing critical mass, right? The seven people that we had, my brother and I and my sister, we started off with these other people that came in. And when this group grew up to 80 people, these guys realized they were missing out. Evangelism causes church revival. Don't bark at the people that are in the church if they're not doing it. Just go out and do it. You bring one soul to the Savior, there's two of you. Two of you bring one soul to the Savior, there's four of you that believe the same. When you believe the same, it becomes a culture. And the bigger you grow, you affect the culture of the church that way. Do not get up and say, you Laodiceans, I'm giving Bible study and none of you are. It will not change the church. It will just harden their heart even more. You see? I never deal with standards. You know, I told you my head deacon, he's dating a non-Adventist right now. You know why I haven't removed him? At the beginning of the year, I said, Andrew, his name's Andrew. I said, look, if your relationship becomes serious, please let me know. And then we'll have to bring it to the board, you know, because you are in a pretty high position. People are looking at you. You're an example to the church. And he came and he, as soon as he got serious, man, he told me. It's like, I just want to let you know because you told me and I'm going to wait the board decision. We discussed it at board. This guy is bringing his girlfriend and she is more faithful to help than the Adventists <laughs> that are at the church. He has more influence on her than she does on him, in other words. So we were happy to keep him in that position. Faithful, faithful guy. And at the beginning, I said, hey, how, how is it with you and your girlfriend? You know, oh, I'm having Bible study with her. You know, Great, you know, he's a zealous guy. But I knew at the back of my mind, you can't make an appeal to your girlfriend. What do you think about the Sabbath? You've got to quit your job. How, how does a boyfriend give an appeal to his girlfriend about the Sabbath, right? So I just pull him aside, and week after week, sometimes I'll just ask him how things are going. And then about a month later after I'd asked, I said, hey, um, if you need help with Bible studies, just let me know, because sometimes I know some of the harder topics, it's harder for you as a boyfriend to give the appeal. Oh, yeah, okay, I'll let you know. A few weeks later, he emailed me. We'd like to have Bible study. You know? He knows he shouldn't, but he's in it anyways. So what can you do? I work on converting the other person. So if people are not giving Bible study here, don't wait for them to move. You give the Bible study, you find the person, get them to believe the same as you, and you two now work. And then after that, you four now work, or you five and you six. <laughs> and then eventually, you will see the need of this. I've been in Taiwan for two years. We've just started it last month. I didn't want to start it with a church because everybody has their opinion 
about how small groups should run, right? So if you bring in everybody who has their, you look, opinion of like a nose, everybody has one. You get it? So everybody's got their idea, we shouldn't do it this way, we should do it this way, we shouldn't do it this way. So I didn't want to go that route and say, okay, this is how it should be done. Or else they'll think I'm a dictator. You do it my way or it's the highway, right? So I just ran it with a small group and we're hoping and we're praying that it will grow. And then when that works, then people are more willing to listen. You see? Even though I'm the pastor, I, I can have a bit more authority in the church. I don't stand up and say, we're having a Friday night care group and anyone who wants to join, come. I didn't even open it to the church. Once it grows, people will catch the vision of what's happening and they're not going to want to be left behind. <laughs> That's how church revival takes place. Not preaching, not rebuking. Any questions about this? Any questions? No? This is what happened in Australia. This is what happened in Culpeper. You know, those old people that are just stuck in their ways. The board would not let the girl get baptized because she's wearing pants. We don't worry about that. Of course, if she wants to get baptized, we've got to fight for her. <laughs> but irrespective of whether the whole church joined our small groups at, on Friday nights, we didn't care so long as we had the people that we were trying to target and focus. That was the most important. Choosing the better over the good. Most of you are here. How do you begin? Pray. God, please send me somebody to study with. That's all. Just pray. Sounds so simple. But do you know, research shows that the average minister, pastor, Fuller Theological Seminary did a research on this. The average pastor prays five to seven minutes a day. And this is people that are meant to be involved spiritually in the work of God full time. And I'm guessing that if a pastor only prays five to seven minutes, how much less do the members pray? Prayer will solve everything, friend. Prayer does. And I'm going to show you a few quotes in the next session. We only have 10 minutes left. Do we? What time do we start? Oh, 10.45. Okay, sorry. I was thinking 10.30. All right. So maybe we can go through a few quotes. You can see everything I have here. Listen to this. Um, first volume of the testimonies. Ah, I'll just put it here Let me, so we can read it together. It's, I, I save all the quotes that I read that just speak to my heart. And we're particularly looking at this one right here. This one, okay, where the cursor is. The reason why our preachers accomplish so little is that they do not walk with God. He is a day's journey from most of them. Do you see that? Preachers. Many preachers do not 
accomplish very much because Jesus is one day's journey from them. Either they've walked ahead of him or he's ahead of them. Jesus needs to be with us. He needs to be with us. That's the quote that I shared. Um, Is it? I think it's this one. Okay, you see the top quote? The work of the gospel minister is to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hidden God. Can you see this? It's, it's big enough. If one entering upon this work chooses the least self-sacrificing part. What do you mean by least self-sacrificing part? It's the least you can do, right? If the minister chooses the least self-sacrificing part, contenting himself with preaching and leaving the work of personal ministry for someone else, his labors will not be acceptable to God. Souls for whom Christ died are perishing for one of well-directed personal labor, and he has mistaken his calling, who entering upon the ministry is unwilling to do the personal work that the care of the flock demands. We're living in a day and age where we worship the preacher. Do you know that? Youth conferences and um, conferences worldwide everywhere have made it into such a way that we have begun worshipping the preacher today. Young men aspiring to be the next David Ashrek or the next Randy Skeet or whatever it is and we have these glorious visions of traveling the whole world but our churches are still dead you know why because we think that ministry is preaching today it's not it's the least work that can be done it's like you know we think that the pastor's work is preach once a week (laughs) It was so funny when I first entered pastoral. Um, you know, the church that I pastored, I was also the chaplain before at the school, so people knew me already. But people came, they were comfortable with me, and they came up to me and said, Ben, so what do you do as a pastor? You know what they mean by that question, right? <laughs> the implication is, do you really do anything? <laughs> Seriously. People have really poor perceptions of what the pastor's job is. They do. Because there are some that should not be in the ministry because all they ever do is preach. And I put all these quotes down um, because I wanted to show this to you, but I, I didn't know whether I should or not. But I did all this research, but it was very simple. Preach less. Educate more by holding Bible readings. It is not preaching alone that must be done. Far less preaching is needed More time should be devoted to patiently educating others, giving the hearers opportunity to express themselves. One-on-one Bible study, group studies where people are open, willing to share and vocalize what they think or feel about this Bible text, whether it's right or wrong. You see? Far less preaching. It has been shown me that our camp meetings are to increase in interest and success. Could you call this a camp meeting? ECYC, is that like a camp meeting? Right? 
As we approach nearer the end, I have seen that in these meetings there will be less preaching and more Bible study. But isn't it true that our camp meetings are all about preaching today? Right? And it's become so much of preaching that if you're not bringing something new and amazing out, you're never invited back again. That's why I never get invited back to anything. Because I'm not a new and an amazing preacher. I love Bible work. I love giving Bible studies. But that is the least glorious part of God's work. My members do not see what I do during the week. And sometimes the fruits do not show until years later or a year later. You see, sometimes people study and they fall off. So there's so many things. But personal work is so important. We must embrace the opportunity to put forth personal labor. The personal labor must be done even if there has to be less preaching done. (laughs) There should be less preaching, more teaching. There should be less preaching, more teaching. Teaching the people and also teaching young men how to labor successfully. Ministers should become efficient in what? Teaching others how to study the Bible and in training the minds and manners of those who become workers in the cause of God. Do you know the minister's work is not to preach and teach Bible? And that's it. Come with me to Matthew 9. I want to show you this. You know that, that Bible text where it says the, the, the harvest is ready, right? I want to show you this. I was totally amazed at this text because many of us actually get it wrong. <laughs> we get it wrong. Let's start in verse 35, okay? Matthew 9 and verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Now verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as what? Sheep having no, no what? Shepherd. And then he says what to his disciples? The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Now, according to this, give me another word for laborer. In those texts that we read. It doesn't say worker. Give me another word for laborer. According to the text, shepherd. Who said it? You did, sorry. <laughs> Both of you said it. What's another word for shepherd? You know? Close. Very close. Another word for shepherd is pastor. Do you know what Jesus is asking us to pray for? Pastors. But where do you get pastors from? Training, teaching. See, the work of the leader, the shepherd, is to create more shepherds. The work of the pastor is to lead the flock, yes, but to also to train the people, to teach them how to work. Did you see the, the PTH ministry booth? Right? There was this one quote that I just walked by and I saw it. You know, people would work more if they were taught how to, edu- uh, they w- if they were educated on how to work or something like that. 
Did you see that quote? So one of um, his little flyers there. But the work of the pastor is not to do the work. The problem is sometimes we think that we paid him. You know, he's got all the free time in the world. So he should do the work. But that's the wrong concept. It's the laity that need to do the work. And that's why that last quote that I had. There are those who for a lifetime have professed to be acquainted with Christ. They leave all the work for the minister. He may be well qualified, but he cannot do that which God has left for the members of the church. Do you know what the church does? They hire a professional to rob them every week. The work that God has been privileged to give his people, they dump it all on the pastor, and the pastor robs them of their work. But this is the work of you guys, the laity. Ours is to train. We need more pastors. But you know what? Every single one of you are pastors. You're a pastor in your own domain. You're just a pastor disguised as uh, an engineer or an IT person or as an accountant. But you're all pastors. It is your work that God has given but it should not rest upon the one that is paid. <laughs> so, less, less preaching, more teaching, more personal work, getting involved. And so, that's why, where do we begin? Right here. And when you got this going, and you have this going, you're teaching twice a week. You're giving a hundred Bible studies a year. Some pastors don't even do that. Every laity gets involved. If you have more groups, small groups that are care groups around the city, more people are getting involved teaching and sharing the little that they know. You're making disciples. People are growing. Is this new to you? Probably not. But you have to begin. You just have to. How do you find them? You don't know how to find them? Pray. You need the Bible study material? I have it. I'll send it to you for free. I'm not advertising so that <laughs> you, you can buy my materials. I, I'll put them on the website. You can download them. Handout, teacher's notes. In fact, I, I believe um, the care groups, the care groups are, studies are already there. I believe it is. Um, you can download them for free. Resources. Small groups resources. And what you'll find here, there's handouts and teacher's notes for you to download. This is for the Friday night Bible studies. They're not perfect. You can adjust them to how you teach and your style and the information that you want to share. But it's just a guideline so that you can go through all of this. So newlifecenter.tw. Um, it's just that. Newlifecenter.tw. Okay? And um, eventually, I'm having them translated into Chinese right now, my personal Bible studies. Once that's done, I'll post all of that up there as well so that you guys can begin and teach it. It's not perfect either. If you find mistakes in there, let me know. I'm happy to change it and 
adjust it as necessary, but you just got to begin. You have to. But you will only do this if you have a burden for the souls. So I'm sure that you're here at ECYC because you have that burden. I don't question that. Um, but now you've got to be pushing to the right direction. And it's not going on to far out mission trip in another country. The Pharisees, they crossed sea and land to make one proselyte. And that person became twice the devil that they were. Begin here. And then you will, it will show your character of who you are as well. Exactly with what I was sharing this morning. Okay? Any questions? We'll have 15 minutes for questions. Is there anything that we can look at that you'd like to see? Yes. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> um, let me just open it up. Okay, let me find it. The right one. Okay, here we go. Not all of these are totally applicable. You, you do it to how you want it. Um, let's just start from here. So here we had the funnel, for those that didn't see it. Um, social, then the care groups. We don't bring them to church. Why? What's the reason why we don't bring them to church? It's okay. It's dangerous, right? You don't know who's going to say what, what's going to happen. So you want them to be surrounded by friends first before you bring them to church. This is why you bring them to their house. And then, um, let me give you an example of a transition to this. When I was teaching care groups, this one guy, he was the, in, in U.S., in Culpeper, Virginia, he was the town barber, he doesn't, okay, hairdresser, I don't know what he liked to be called, but he came, he was invited by one of the staff members from Heartland, and he came, and I taught on Nicodemus, okay? We studied Nicodemus, and he was so blown away by the study, he came up to me after, he loved the study, and said, what's the mark of the beast? What should you do? Tell me. Did someone ask you that question? What would you do? Come on, don't be shy. There's only about 15 of you guys here. Uh-huh. You know what I did? It's a good question, Robbie. You want to have Bible study? Sure. Creation. Godhead, <laughs> the law, Sabbath. We got about 10 studies on. He's like, come on, man. What's the mark of the beast? You still haven't told me yet. <laughs> I said, look, in order to understand the mark of the beast, you have to understand all this stuff. Trust me. By that time, I've developed such a rapport with him, he trusted me. But a few weeks later, then he got really impatient and I had to show him. <laughs> you know? But I'd never show him straight away. I was in Georgia as a campus chaplain. These two girls, non-Adventists, came up to me. How do you know the Sunday law is the mark of the beast? I said, how do you know that? The first Adventist that we met told us. And how do you know that Ellen White's your prophet? How do you know that? Well, the same Adventist told us. Is that truth? Yes or no? It is. But what? What's wrong with it? Too soon. There has to be tact in sharing the message, right? There has to be order. You can share the truth, but at the wrong time, it's damaging to the people because then they really think we're a cult, right? So from there, we have the baptism. 
a transition into it. Every single time. It's really easy to transition people into Bible studies. The minute they ask a Bible question, it's like, good question, man. Let's sit down and have Bible study together. <laughs> Even if it's just about creation. You just transition them into it because it gives them more freedom to open up. They're willing to talk now. They know it's a focused session on the Bible. The whole perspective changes, you see. So that, that part is missing. But This one? Public evangelism and baptism. Here is just social events. Um, what, we, what we had was a second slide. This one was multiple touch points. Little commitment, but a lot of times you're meeting them. Here is a deeper friendship, and here is a deeper friendship. So it, you're deepening in their relationship with them, and also they're deepening in their relationship with Jesus as well. Okay? So this one, it doesn't even have to be religious. It's fine. Um, but let's move on. Inspiration says in Acts 2, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from what? House to house. Now how do we apply that today? How do you break bread from house to house? Hey? Hanging out from house... Okay, that's good. But do people really hang out from house to house? No. What do they do? They hang out from restaurant to restaurant. Right? They didn't have restaurants back then. (laughs) They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having faith with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such those who were being saved. House-to-house ministry, inviting people to the house is important. Eating together with them. Breaking bread. They ate their food. They ate it together. It's important. Seek to enlighten the minds of the seekers after truth by giving them clear and definite explanations in their own home circle. So you got to bring... There's, there's, and if you look at the book of Acts, it's full of families with families with families. When Peter and Silas... Is it Paul and Silas? Paul and Silas, right? Who broke out of prison because of the great earthquake and the keeper was about to kill himself. What happened? Don't kill him. Don't kill yourself. We're all here. And they shared the word of God. What was the result? Sorry? Him and his whole family were baptized. So when you get one, you might be getting five people behind that one person. So it's important. 70, page 21, formation of small companies. The formation of small companies as a basis of Christian effort has been presented to me by one who cannot err. If there is a large number in the church, 250, let the members be formed into small companies to work not only for the church members, but for unbelievers. In other words, this small groups will cause revival also in the church as much as it is an evangelism tool. Now, maybe you don't have the authority to divide it all into the whole church into smaller groups, but do it with just the youth. Just do it with the youth. That's what we did. We used to meet once a week at church on a Friday night, but we found it was inefficient because people traveled 40 minutes from the city just to come to our church. It was not convenient, I'll tell you. And every week, let me tell you about commitment and sacrifice. Every week, my brother, sister, and I drove the cars, a car each to church. My mom about lost it. She was so angry at us. She was like, why do you have to drive three cars to church? Are you kidding me? You know, (laughs) what? There's three of you. You'll all fit in one car. But my brother drove people back all the way to the city after it finished. I drove people midway, and my sister came back with a bunch of people to stay at our house overnight. 
Even now, today as a pastor, we have people stay over at our house on Friday nights. <laughs> in Taiwan, as good as a public transport is, it takes some people one and a half hours to get home. So if I were to have a Friday night, some of them wouldn't come just because it's just too tiring to get home at 10 o'clock. You get home at 11.30, 12 o'clock, right? That's if you don't socialize. <laughs> but if you stay back till 11 o'clock at night just talking, you won't see them at church the next day until like divine service. And I understand that is not a spiritual condition. They're just so tired out from the previous night. So I said, bring some clothes, stay at our place. We just got a couch, but you're welcome to stay there. You know, how private are you? You have to open up your home. <laughs> the church that we were at in Culpeper, Virginia, didn't like eating together. They ate together once a month. We made it every week. People weren't used to it. Some left, it's okay, but we brought enough for everybody. My sister-in-law wasn't. I wasn't married then, but my brother was. His wife cooked dishes upon dishes to church <laughs> but fellowship socializing that was so important so important you know um, I'm just going to skip the quotes let's get into um, the concept care group their evangelism units well integrated into the church evangelism funnel and accountable to the church board not independent in other words the care group leaders, we had a structure. The care group leaders answered to one main care group leader who answered to the youth leader who sat on the church board. We had structure in our youth ministry, like a business. You have to. It's well-structured, missing component in cultivating or nurturing. And it's a network of caring, discipling, accountability, leadership development. When your youth group grows, and I pray by the grace of God it will, if it grows to 100 people, it's going to be so hard to keep track of all of them. That's why you have these smaller groups. So when one person's missing, that group knows, and they go visit them. Give them a call. Hey, we missed you at church. I struggle, even with my church, 100 to 150 people each week. I struggle to keep track of who comes and who doesn't. But the main ones I focus on are those that I'm giving Bible study to. I know when they're there at church and when they're not. You see? So, accountability. Now, five-finger principle, thumb. It creates a sense of belonging. Go, make disciples. Leadership, it's the longest finger on our hand. Ring finger, accountability, family, right? And last of all, equipping, training. Shared roles develop the next line of leaders. You help them to grow up. So, Care groups allows that because you're allowing people who aren't professional Bible study students to teach. It's okay. In Gateway today, the culture is everybody teaches, everybody <laughs> shares, everybody gives Bible studies, you know. It's just a culture that we've developed. So it's not a, a far out thing that people know how to give Bible studies in our church. It's just something that we have developed. The benefits, accountability model, I already shared that with you. It creates a true family culture, loss, loose sense of family in one big group. And passive evangelism. Now this is where it becomes really important. When people see others being revived, it, it helps them to be revived. Let me give you a classic example. 
I've been Adventist all my life. I haven't done such bad stuff, I don't think. Um, but this guy wants to go in the world. I say, hey, man, don't go in the world. This clubbing is bad for you. Who are you? <laughs> You've been in the church all your life. How do you know clubbing is bad for you? But now you got a guy coming in off the street. He's studying with you. He's thinking that this stuff is amazing. And he used to be in a gang and drugs. Do you think he has more say than you? To influence the one who wants to leave the church to go out into the world? Absolutely. It's passive evangelism. What do you used to do? Oh man, I used to take drugs. The guys that we dealt with in Culpeper, their father shot the son. This is the family upbringing that he came from. But when they see something so special and they want to come in, that revives the people that are in there. Wow, we really got something so special. This guy's getting so excited over the second coming. Wow. It stirs something in your heart, you see. Passive evangelism. Um, it increases opportunities for leadership development. Like I said, a care group leader may teach 50 to 100 Bible studies in one year. And you energize through constantly dividing and multiplying, dividing and multiplying. And so when you get small, you feel the need to grow. But I believe that the ceiling limit for a, a church usually is about 180, no more than 200. Because then people get to begin to be comfortable and people begin to fall off on the sides. I even see it with my church, about 100, 120, 150 people. You know, so that when you shrink again, this is why K groups are good, but also church planting is good as well. Because your church is small again. Wow. Okay, we've got to pray again. You know, we've got to do some outreach again instead of getting comfortable in our Adventist cliques. You see? And eventually use some caregivers to plant new church. Program, very simple. Just songs, a meal, Bible study, testimony, and prayer time. You have to provide for all four. Mental, that's Bible study. Spiritual, Bible study. Physical, that's the food. Social, hang out. This is the best time that you can combine all those experiences. And it's a bridge to church eventually. You see? I've been told my time was up, so for this session, um, I believe there is more that we could talk about. Yeah. But any questions before we close for this session? Any questions? Let's pray. Father, you love us so much. You want your church to be successful, to bring in more souls that they can be in your kingdom at the end of time. Lord, you love each and every one of us with so much love that we cannot even comprehend. Help us to do our part as faithful servants of Jesus, that we can not just give this message a certain sound, but we can impact the world by our presence and our love for other people. Please be with all my brothers and sisters here. Give them a vision of how to work in their churches. Help them to know what to implement first. And then, Lord, in the following year when they come back, it's the ECYC. They can share. They have testimonies on their lips about how you have been blessing their ministries where they have been. Lord, please guide them is my prayer. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, 
please visit www.audioverse.org.